So again, it, uh, it kind of compresses the time frame in which to get something done. So with that as context, the Green Book was issued not too long ago, which is the kind of the summary and more detail of the Biden administration's ideas and where they want to go with tax law changes. From Ray and Associates Studio, this is Unsuitable, a management and financial services podcast for entrepreneurs, tenured business leaders, and others who are ready to look beyond the suit and tie culture for meaningful, measurable results. I'm Doug Hauser. On this weekly podcast, thought leaders and business professionals break down complicated and mundane topics and give you the tips and insight you actually need to grow your business. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button so you don't miss future episodes. And if you want access to even more information, show notes, and exclusive content, please visit our website at www.raycpa.com slash podcast and sign up for updates. 2021 has been another crazy year for everybody and businesses everywhere continue to feel the pinch of a recovering economy. Even though federal and state government entities continue to do what they can to ease the burden on our business sector, There continues to be questions and concerns when it comes to taxes and regulatory requirements and changes going forward, most certainly. On this week's episode of Unsuitable, tax guru and Ray principal Chris Axine is here to give us some insight into the current tax climate, as well as provide us a glimpse into his crystal ball, which I always find fascinating. So welcome back to Unsuitable, Chris. Thanks, Doug. Uh, Glad to be here. Thanks for having me and uh, plenty of mundaneness coming in this in this week's episode here. Yes. Well, I don't know about that. I think it's a, a topic of great interest, obviously, to our audience of business owners. And when I'm with clients and prospects or other third-party advisors, the first question out of their mouths right now is, hey, what what's coming down the pike? Where are we headed with, you know, tax law changes? And and obviously None of us know that. We'll, we'll get into that outlook probably uh, towards the end of this episode, but I certainly think it's at the forefront of everybody's mind uh, who's a business owner. But I've um, become popular again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, that, and different planning opportunities may arise that we haven't probably dealt with in a while. So uh, we'll see. But talk a little about a bit about what already has happened this year. Uh, maybe start with the ACA, uh, the Supreme Court case update and and some yeah. other things that, that we know are in the bank, so to speak, and, and have occurred. Sure. Yeah. A couple of quick hitters to update the, our listeners here. So in, in prior podcasts, I uh, informed the listeners about an opportunity potentially for taxpayers uh, with regard to the Affordable Care Act and that the Supreme Court had uh, agreed to hear a case regarding the uh, constitutionality of the of the net investment income tax as a funding mechanism for the Affordable Care Act. And the court took up that uh, case in its term that started last October. And so last year, around this time, we were, as the court had, had agreed to hear it, we were scrambling to file protective refund claims for clients for 2016 and 2017, as, as those years were quickly um, going to run out of statute. And, and that was to preserve the right if, if the Supreme Court ruled uh, in our client's favor in terms of the, the net investment income tax was, was not a valid tax, that then we could uh, file actual amended returns to refunds back. And 
it, they weren't uh, insignificant dollars by any stretch for many of our um, right. high net worth taxpayers and business owners that um, really encompasses, there was two pieces to it. There was um, a 0.9% on excess compensation uh, above 250,000 Medicare tax. And then there was the 3.8% uh, on investment income. So interest, dividends, cap gains. To fast forward, uh, I think it was in, well, it might've been in, in May, the Supreme Court issued their ruling and, and basically came down and, and said the uh, a plaintiff didn't have standing. Uh, so they really didn't discuss the, the merits of the case and um, as to whether it was constitutional or not, um, the funding mechanism, but basically said, well, the, the plaintiff doesn't have standing to bring it. So we're, you know, we're basically throwing out it out for that. And so for now that forecloses that opportunity. Uh, we'll see, you know, if, if it comes back again at some point in the future, but uh, I know within our firm, there were probably 40 or 50 protective refund, refund claims filed on behalf of clients for 16 and 17. And, and the IRS was issuing acknowledgement of that in, in, uh, in an indirect way. And now I would expect that who knows when, but at some point they'll, there'll be a follow-up from them saying, Hey, you know, we're, we're going to basically put this in the trash because it's, it's no longer uh, available. Yeah. I mean, it seems like they, they punted that one. Uh, so not sure if we'll ever, ever see that uh, revisited. Who, who knows? Yep. But Good news, though, on the front of the employee retention credit, right? Um, that was expanded and I know made more widely accessible. And, and we've, we're in the process and have already done so for a number of clients to take advantage of that. So talk a little bit about what, what happened there. Well, we, yeah, we, we have lots of, of clients that are going to be able to take advantage of this and, and get, you know, free money back uh, with regard to the payroll taxes um, on their on their workforce and that were impacted by COVID. And a couple different pieces of legislation favorably impacted what had been passed in the CARES Act last year. And the first one was the consolidated appropriations legislation that got signed at the end of 2020, uh, which basically broadened the extended it number one to Q1 and Q2 of 2021. And then also at a high level, it expanded the benefit so from 50% to 70% of the first 10,000 in wages per employee. So basically a $7,000 credit refundable, you know, money back. And there was a, a subsequent uh, piece of legislation, the American Rescue Plan Act that was uh, passed here in the spring that um, extended that through the Q3 and Q4. So through the end of 2021. And as a part of, of, of those, the, Criteria for qualifying um, loosened up a bit. Yep. Uh, and so that obviously brings in more, you know, more businesses that uh, can now take advantage of it. Yeah, I had, it's interesting because I had a number of clients, you know, even in construction, which really uh, to a large extent still ran very strongly last year. In fact, a number of experienced record years. But, you know, if you're comparing it back to say a quarter in 2019, and if you just you know, perhaps had one quarter that's all of a sudden uh, 20% down versus what, what you saw in 2019, you would, you would qualify. Uh, and again, as you said, it can be significant dollars. I mean, think about it. If you have 50 employees at, at, you know, seven grand a pop that are earning, if they're earning at least, you know, 10,000 uh, in that, that quarter, I mean, that's 350 grand. So it's, it's substantial money. 
uh, for yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I in particular have a client that um, had a casualty event uh, this spring and and uh, covered by insurance, but nevertheless has an impact to to his business and and was pleased to be able to inform him that he qualified and and was going to be getting a significant you know money back from the IRS here related to 2020. Yeah. Um, and so it, now the I guess the uh, you know the rub of it all now is is, is uh, we, we file those amended returns, payroll returns, and we just need the IRS to cooperate and issue refunds. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. And there and certainly there is some complexity. We we spend a lot of time dealing with okay the interplay between those those wages that that were that can be used for employer retention credit versus uh, PPP because they're you can't double dip and some other. Yeah other factors such as that. But uh, speaking of the IRS, you know, I've heard a lot of rumblings in, and we'll get into this here with, you know, new proposed tax changes that, boy, they're really going to beef up enforcement and and these types of things. That's supposedly part of the the pay for, right? With with the infrastructure bill that that seems to have been negotiated. If, can you provide us any insight on that? Well, I, yeah, I can confirm that, and that kind of goes back to the so-called tax gap. So the estimate of what the taxes that are believed to be owed by collectively us as taxpayers versus what is actually paid. So that gap is is underreported income, overreported expenses. A significant part of it is with regard to offshore accounts. Mm. The IRS has been hit in a couple of different ways in you know, over the last five, 10 years, uh, with regard to people retiring, uh, they're, you know, they're seeing decreases in their workforce because of that cutting of funding through, you know, some abuses by individuals within certain sections of the IRS that got, you know, uh, made the news. And, and so they were in a way probably operating, you know, with one arm behind their back and audits, it's not a secret audits are down generally across the board. In terms of all income ranges uh, and entity types, um, they they are, they still go on um, and and are happening, but um, not as not as frequent as I guess some would like. Uh, and the hope with that is is if they're to give throw some money at them to increase their budget to allow them to hire people and focus on particular initiatives like the offshore underreporting and in in auditing large companies as well. Uh, to try to close that tax gap and and therefore help pay for some of the other provisions that they want to pass. And of course, they'll, as you noted, they'll target really the kind of the low hanging fruit or where the biggest bang for the buck uh, likely is. So doesn't necessarily mean our, our average taxpayer should be frightened, but certainly it, it raises awareness and something we're going to be, be following, I would imagine. Yeah, I, I think the as a general proposition, the kind of the areas of that of of interest to the IRS really haven't changed. It's just they didn't have the people to, to really focus on it. And, and so I think we know kind of where that low-hanging fruit is to advise taxpayers that, you know, that may find themselves um, there to here's what's coming and here's how best to prepare for that. And of course, if they've hired a, you know, a competent advisor, you know, that it's not that they've done something wrong. It's, you know, it's it's more of uh, and sometimes things change. The IRS changes their their opinion on on whether you know on deductibility and inclusion of income, et cetera. And and so, yeah, we'll see how it goes. But I expect that to be to stay within any 
um, compromise that comes about here as, as if and when we get some legislation this year. Right. So, all right, speaking of the, the crystal ball, or maybe I should call it magic eight ball when it comes to the you know, predicting the, the legislative tax, you know, what gets done in terms of progress. Uh, what, what can we look for? What can we see? I mean, I, I, to me, I see a lot of people overreacting or, or just freaking out about, oh my gosh, you know, my capital gains or my state tax, uh, exemption. What, where do you really see things coming down? Well, let me start I guess with this, to, to frame the context of where we are, based on the legislative calendar, roughly speaking, plus or minus, there's about 70 days left in this year for them to get something done. So, and, and that's, that's spread over multiple months. It's, right. you know, it's not like we're talking two and a half months, you know, because they're not working every day. No surprise there that it's... Uh, uh, so it's somewhat shocking how how little I suppose they they do work in terms of the number of days they're in session. So absent some extending their days in session, like through the August recess or et cetera, there's not a lot of time because a lot of this, particularly if it's going to be, you just think about what happened uh, last go round with the Tax Reform Act that was passed at the end of 17. That you know you you have committees that want to hold hearings and debate the issues and and rightly so and you know, and, and come to compromise, et cetera. And, and it's hard to do that when, you know, there's only so many days left. So you, you have that as a starting point. You have, we're still, Congress's attention is currently focused on trying to pass infrastructure bill, uh, one or more. You know, right now, perhaps there's compromise and in, in, in ability to get something done with so-called hard infrastructure, the, the truly shovel-ready, you know, type of construction projects. But, you know, as of yet, nothing's been voted on that we don't have a a bill, you know, to vote on. And and so there's other things that are in front of that. Clearly, it's a priority of the Biden administration, but we've got infrastructure that they want to get done both hard and then the soft side of that infrastructure is the people side and the green energy side that the Democrats really want. And if that gets passed, likely would be done purely on a, on a partisan basis to make that happen. You have the end of the government's year is at the end of September and the current budget, you know, will run out as of then. So the continuing resolution, they got to do another one for the next fiscal year. Debt ceiling, right? That'll, that'll hit. Yeah. So they've got things on their plate that are um, at this point have a higher priority in terms of they're already down the road or, you know, we we can't punt on the CR. We got to get it done. Um, so again, it, uh, it kind of compresses the time frame in which to get something done. So with that as context, the green book was issued not too long ago, which is the kind of the summary and in more detail of the Biden administration's ideas and where they want to go with tax law changes. Um, I hate to call it reform, but so, you know, the, the winners and the losers, Yeah, we, maybe we can couch it in those terms. And so the big part of that always comes back to prospective versus retroactive, right? right? So if it's prospective, we, we have some time to plan. We can kind of see, you know, Congress is starting to get their acting gear and having committee meetings and debating the issues and taxpayers have some time to 
to plan here, you know, in, in what would be the rest of 2021 to try to, you know, to do efficient tax plan. Sure. Part of what was in the green book is uh, there was a provision related to capital gains, mm-hmm. which the Biden administration has said they, for, for the rich, uh, those that, that make more than a million dollars, they want those capital gains to be taxed at ordinary tax rates which would go up to 39.6 from where they are the ordinary rates from 37% now but effectively the highest capital gain rate is without without the impact of the surtax is 20% and go to 39.6 so it's basically doubling it yeah and the green book indicated that the effective date for that would be as of the date of the announcement not the date uh, you know not potentially a prospective like January 1st 2022 the date of the announcement was April 28th, 2021. So retroactive, based on the time when legislation would be signed. And that, of course, would be devastating for tax planning because it's too late. Right. You know, I, I think what'll happen is hopefully there'll there'll be some arm wrestling and haranguing and negotiation and that 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 gets moved. Yeah. That yardstick, so to speak. The history of Retroactivity, you know, tends to be when it's taxpayer favorable, you can have that, and and we've seen that multiple times with tax credits that have expired, etc. Yeah. When it's punitive, not as many examples of retroact being retroactively enacted, and so hopefully that would again prove true here that, and in doing so would allow us some time to help our clients plan because. That's what they want to know. You know, if, right. if, if tax rates are going up, you know, and I'm thinking of selling something anyway in my security and my portfolio, then I'm going to, I want to do it sooner than, you know, than January. Yeah. So. And we're certainly seeing that with M&A activity. We've seen a number of folks, uh, I know transactions you and I have both been involved in where, and I always say it should be a factor. It's, it should not be the factor. And, and I think, you know, we don't want people to, to, you know, overreact in that sense. Right. That's right. Yes. The taxes should never be the primary reason why you're doing something. You, you should understand the ramifications. And, and if it makes sense within the larger business deal to, you know, to, to try to negotiate for a better deal tax wise, whether that's with regard to timing or otherwise, then absolutely. But yeah, you don't, yeah. you don't, you don't want to kill a, a really good deal for, you know, 99% of a, other reasons just because, you know, for a, a tax thing in the, which we don't even know will happen yet. Well, and, correct. Yeah. You know, my my sort of feeling again. This is Doug Hauser's opinion only, not the firm's opinion, not not your opinion. But I just I can't see enough traction to make that massive of a change with with cap gains. But but who knows? I've I've been wrong before, so we'll, we'll see. What's interesting is, and again, we're in wait and see mode, and and watch, and and uh, I, I get you know. It's not an understatement to say it's if it's not every day, it's every other day. Somebody's calling with, you know, asking, well, what, what's it going to what's what's going to happen? What you know, what's it mean? And when's it coming and how much? And and all we can do is stay tuned. But I think the hope is that there 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 are a group of moderate Democrats and, and really right now in the Senate, any Democrat, if they so chose, has you know, is, is, is wielding some, some weapons and leverage, um, because they need every single one of them. Yeah. And the, the kind of the poster boy for that is Joe Manchin. He's, he seems to have been willing to, to, you know, take all the arrows so, so far, but there's others that are out there too, that could 
you know, prove to be beneficial to taxpayers and in, in helping to mold something that's prospective, not retroactive. Yeah. The other big one, uh, you know, certainly last that we want to touch on is proposed estate tax exemption change. And let's talk about that because that, that could potentially have a big impact, particularly for all of our business owners out there, right? Yeah. And there's lots of, again, lots of moving, moving parts to this. So the current lay of the landscape is right now the uh, lifetime exemption amount and, and maximum estate exclusion is basically 13 million per taxpayer. And if you're married, uh, there's portability there. So it's effectively 26 million for a married couple. Um, that expires at the end of, I'm sorry, it was 23.5 million dollars. That expires at the end of 2026. That's where the 26 is in my head. If Congress does nothing, so that'll expire and, and it would go back to uh, what it was previously, which is basically five and a half million each with portability. From what I've read, uh, I think that's at least initially where I think the Biden administration is okay with it going back to that five and a half million dollars, but there's a bunch of other things that are different and um, not good in terms of the uh, potential elimination and the step up and basis mm. rules for inherited property. So basically you'd have a deem, deem sale at death right? Uh, and the state would pay that tax. There's some provisions uh, that would limit the amount of lifetime giving while the individual is alive. Right now, it's those two, the giving, the gift exclusion and the, and the death exclusion, if you will, the state exclusion are, are one and the same and tied together. So you can either give away, you know, 11 and a half million uh, during your lifetime, or you cannot give away anything and give an 11 and a half million when you die. It's same same thing. They would disconnect those under Biden's proposal and, and significantly reduce how much you could give away tax-free during, during life. Yeah. So those are obviously some significant things that we'll be watching, uh, among other things, as we proceed. And I'm I'm sure we'll we'll have you back on to discuss as we learn more, and maybe we get a, at least some proposals towards the end of this year. We'll see. But it sounds like it's interesting that you bring up the legislative calendar on really how short of a time frame there is to to get something done this year. So. Yeah, it, it, we've seen them motivated before, and and you know, we, again, I guess we, we just stay to see and keep. Uh, and I I will be keeping my ear to the ground and, yes. and my hotline to Washington open, and and I will promise to report back as soon as I know something good Excellent. <laughs> and concrete. <laughs> well, on another note, how's how's the golf game right now? I think last time we were out, I I I lost uh, three bucks or so to you. I gotta I gotta get that back here soon. Well, it's uh, it's it's going good. I, I might have won another five dollars in a different different game uh, the week later, and uh, it didn't didn't quite play as as well as I would have liked, but it was good enough. That's right. But yeah, it's uh, this is the time of the year where where uh, I'd like to play once a week, and and uh, this week is that's not going to happen this week, but hopefully next week. Yeah, uh, sounds good. Well, thanks again, Chris. We always uh, love having you on, and. Uh, we will, I'm sure, have you on again soon because this is uh, certainly important for all of us. So, um, Absolutely. Thanks for having you, me. Appreciate you staying on top of it. So, Well, thanks again. And uh, if you want more business tips and insight or to hear previous episodes of Unsuitable, visit our podcast page at www.racecpa.com slash podcast. And while you're there, sign up for exclusive content and show notes. Thanks for listening to this week's show. 
Be sure to subscribe to Unsuitable on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you're listening to us right now, including YouTube. I'm Doug Hauser. Join us next week for another Unsuitable interview from an industry professional. The views expressed on Unsuitable on Ray Radio are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Ray and Associates. The podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to replace the professional advice you would receive elsewhere. Consult with a trusted advisor about your unique situation so they can expertly guide you to the best solution for your specific circumstance.